Okay, let's open our Bibles. Before we open our Bibles, I'm going to talk about the three enemies of a believer. They are, uh, we, do we all believe that we have enemies? By the way, as a believer, you shouldn't have enemies in human beings. In, in human beings, basically, I'm talking about a human being. Because the Bible says that if possible, we should be at peace with each other as much as possible. But uh, these three enemies I'm going to talk about are not human beings. And these ones I'm sure some people do not know. We only know one. We only know one enemy that we have, but most of us don't know about the other two. Praise God. In fact, we entertain them so much, but these are our enemies. So the very first enemy we are going to look at is the devil or Satan. That one I'm sure everybody knows. Because even the scripture says that he's our enemy. In Luke 10, 19, uh, we are going to start reading from verse 18. Verse 18 says, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Praise God. So the Bible says that he has given us authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. And the, the enemy here we see is in verse 18. The Bible talks about Satan. So Satan, it is well known that to a believer or a born-again Christian, that Satan is our number one enemy that we deal with as a believer. So that one is known to every believer, that Satan is our enemy. In fact, to grow up from Sunday school, we are told that Satan is not your friend. You try as much as possible to avoid him because even the Bible says that flee from the enemy and resist the devil and he will flee from you. When we read in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27, if, if you didn't come with a Bible, you can look up the screen. The scriptures are being projected to you. How many don't have Bibles? If you're here and you don't have a Bible either, Oh, there is only one person. Uh, a Bible, an English version Bible, costs, I think, around, even at 10,000, you can get it, a used version or 20. Please spare some time and get, um, some people have phones, if you, possibly, for the meantime, you can be using the one on the, on the mobile phone, on the smartphone, you can download the application. But I would advise you to get a hard copy as well. Yes, you never know what can happen to those applications. Anytime they can fail, anytime your phone can black out, anytime. So, 
But to be safe, you need like 35,000 to get a proper Bible. So I'm speaking to everybody who does not have. You need like 35, about 35, to get yourself a good Bible. Okay, it is uh, 427 says. Meanwhile, if you don't have, please follow with, with the screen. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Did I get the scripture right? Oh, sorry, I'm reading five. The Bible says, do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. It's specifically an instruction to you as a believer. Do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, if you give him a mile, he will take two. I think we have heard that, haven't we? It's, it's actually there in the scripture. Do not give him a foothold. In other words, the Bible says that do not... Uh, this. Okay, the scripture means... Do not give the, an enemy an open door to come into your life because the moment you do, he is going to hold on. It will be hard for you to fight him off. It will be so hard for you to fight him off because the moment you give him just an open space, even just a tiny little, just a very tiny little open window to gain access to you, he is going to take the, the entire let me say, just say that the entire you, he will just take over. He will just take over. It is going to be hard for you to shake him off after that. Praise Jesus. Maybe here I can use an example of... Um, I, I want to use an example of um, youth today. Uh, when we are told not to watch pornography, I will give that example. Most people see it as, well, I am above 18, so I don't see why I should be held back. But that is an open door to a great, something great that you are going to fail to get rid of, to rid yourself of. I have had people who have been addicted to porn just after watching one video. You know, when you're watching something and you say, well, I am 18, and it is funny that these days that this, this information travels to a great speed, you find people have leaked somebody's sex tape has been leaked, somebody's notes have been leaked. So when they leak them, they land on your phone. And what you do, you also end up downloading the video and viewing. But before you download, I know that thing, you can see it in a faint form and immediately delete before you even view. But what happens, you say, well, let me just take a peek. What happens when you take a peek to the video, you get so aroused and interested and you start looking for more. You end up looking for more and more videos, and what happens all of a sudden is you're so addicted to watching, but you don't know that the more you watch, the more you're opening up doors for the enemy to gain access to your life, the more you get aroused, and all of a sudden you're going to want to also experiment what you're watching. That is why the Bible is telling us, do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give him any reason to hold you down. Because if you do, he will, you will really be in bondage. People have been addicted, and these addictions start only by something small. You say, well, uh, it is like the, the way people say, they are some born again who say there is nothing wrong with drinking because the scripture is not against drunk, uh, drinking. 
alcohol, which is against drunkenness. So that it starts slowly by slowly. You start, of course, not drunkard starts by saying that I'm going to be a drunkard. You start little by little and you take a little, you even have scriptures to help you. And before you know what you are an addict, you cannot do without it. And then you start to ask yourself, how, how did this happen? And you start to struggle to get out of it. Most of the struggles we have in our life is because we gave the devil a foothold. But however, the Bible says, do not. Do not do it. You live as children of the light. Hallelujah. So you're supposed to live as children of the light. Uh, we proceed. Verse 20, uh, chapter 6, 11 tells us, I'm still talking about that the devil as our enemy, though this one we know. Verse 11 tells us to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You need the full armor of God. Maybe we should read what the armor is. Let's keep going. The Bible says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of darkness and authorities and the powers of this dark world. No, no, no. no I, I'm, I'm looking for the armor. Let's start from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13 says, therefore, put, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Then with your belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praise God. Now, the, the armor of God. Maybe some people thought I am talking about a garment or whatever, but this is the armor of God. If you start to read from verse 13, it tells you from verse 14, it, tells, it starts by telling us we need the belt of truth. In other words, you have to be truthful in whatever you do. You need the belt of truth in order to resist the devil because you cannot overcome when you keep on lying and you say you are a believer. Because the, even the Bible tells us that the devil is the father of all lies. So you need the belt of truth. It is part of the armor of salvation. Then it tells us the breastplate of righteousness in place. Righteousness is living right. You walk according, you live by what the word of God says. You live according to God's will. That is righteousness. So you need that breastplate. You know what a breastplate is? Okay, I don't know if some of you know, but um, the, the soldiers in the army, not today's army, but... If you look at the scriptures in the Bible, there are some that have pictures. They used to have that breastplate to protect them from arrows, other the spears that were shot at them by the enemy. So they had that breastplate. It's a bit hard. They place it around the, the breast. That's why they call it the breastplate. Yes, so it is supposed to shield you. So it's the breastplate of righteousness. In order to overcome the devil, you need to be righteous. And then the, 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 they tell us, so 
with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That is why the Bible tells us that you need to be at peace with everybody. You need the gospel of peace. That is the feet on the feet. You wear shoes of peace, the gospel of peace. You take it around and you also live according to the gospel of peace. You take up the shield of faith. In order to overcome the devil, you need faith. Because it is by faith. Without faith, the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is by faith that we overcome. Because if you are the kind of person who is always in doubt, you will never get what you want. Because it is impossible to please God without faith. That is why the Bible tells us that we need to take up the shield of faith. We know what a shield is. If you don't know, you will look at the picture of the coat of arms of Uganda. I don't know if you remember it. You, you remember your SST in primary. There was that picture of the coat of arms. <laughs> that is the shield, okay? That's what I'm talking about. You, you can Google it, the coat of arms, that shield. Basically, it is, it is metallic. It is, it is placed in, it's usually it's held in the hand. It is also supposed to avert the arrows that keep coming that are shot at you by the enemy. So you need that shield of faith. Praise God. Amen. And the helmet of salvation. Now for this one we have all seen. If you don't know what a helmet is, you look at what the border, border men wear. That is a helmet. You need the helmet of salvation. Praise God. Salvation which you all have. Now salvation is not, not just you accepting Christ that I am saved, I am born again. No, you also need to leave the word. As a saved person, you need to live in salvation. That is living according to the word of God. If you say that God saved me, then you need to live by his will. So you need the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That is why I asked you first if you have Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, you don't have a sword that can deliver you from the enemy. Because the moment the enemy strikes, even if you have a shield, are you going to keep on abiding every single time? At a certain point, he's going to get to you. Either he'll get at him or he will get to you. So you need the sword, which is the word of God. This is your sword. Tell your neighbor, turn to your neighbor with your Bible and tell them, this is my sword, if you have one. It's a sword. This is a sword. Don't take it for granted, by the way. Because the word of God tells us that the word of God is, is a sword. It, 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 uh, when we read Hebrews 4.12, is it Hebrews 4.12? Mm. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. Whatever word that comes out of the mouth of God is a sword. This is a sword. It is alive and active. So you need the sword to be able to overcome the devil. Praise Jesus. And also, you need to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now this one is talking about whether you are worshipping, whether you are repenting, whether you are making your supplications known to God, whether in intercession or you're giving thanks. It's supposed to be in the spirit. You understand what I'm saying? Most of us play, pray in the flesh, and that is why we get tired so fast. But we need to do it by the spirit. 
at all occasions, on all occasions, of prayers and, and requests. And you have to keep on praying, keep on praying for all the saints, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Hallelujah. So uh, for, for, the, for the enemy, I think you have understood how you're going to resist the enemy, the number one enemy, which is the devil. If you feel you don't know, just I've told you wear the helmet of what? Of salvation. That is how you are going to overcome. And the, helm, the, the, the armor of God, rather, the armor of God. And if you don't know what the armor of God is, you read Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10 all through. You will keep on reading up to verse 19. Let us go. And in First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, as we conclude on the enemy, the devil, the Bible tells us in First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Then verse 9 tells us resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. That means that the devil does not stop at only you. Some people think that they are the only people who are going through problems. It is only me, me, me. But the Bible even tells us that your brothers around the world are also going through the same kind of suffering. That means the devil is not only attacking you. And the Bible is telling you, resist him. How are you going to resist him? By putting on the full armor of God. The Bible says full. Put it on. Full. Praise Jesus. This is the armor, the picture of the armor I was telling you about. You, when you look to the screen, you will see the, the, the full armor in order to be protected. So I think you can see. In, the, in the, those days, the Israelites used to wear this armor this kind of armor, so that they, however much the enemy tries to get you, they cannot get you from whatever angle because you are completely, fully protected, head on down to toe, you are completely covered. So that is it with also the armor of God. We need to be completely covered so that we can completely overcome the devil and his kings. The only way you're going to resist him is by wearing the complete, full armor of God. The second enemy is the flesh, our bodies. And I know most of us don't know that the flesh is our enemy. But and actually, we take care of our flesh more than our spirit. But it should be the other way around. The flesh is always in contrast with the body. The flesh will never be, rather, with the spirit. The flesh will never be in agreement with that what the spirit wants. The spirit will want something different, and the flesh will also want something different. When we read our Bibles in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, five sixteen says, So I I so I say, live by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In other words, the flesh is the sinful nature. This flesh that we hold, the flesh that we live in, this is the sinful nature. Some, some, some Bibles call it the flesh, other Bibles say it is the sinful nature. Because the truth is, whatever the flesh desires is sinful. Usually it is always the spirit that comes in and you choose. Either you're going to obey the spirit or you're going to obey your flesh. 
Verse 17 tells us, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. Praise God. This is what I said earlier. Like I said, some Bible versions call it the sinful nature, but they are talking about the flesh. They are always in contrast with each other. They conflict each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, all these you, you will keep on reading. And then later on, verse 22 tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. What am I trying to bring out? That the flesh, even the Bible quotes it as the sinful nature. It is the human nature. That is why when people do things sometimes, they say that I am human. But that should not be. You should not justify your reason for doing something wrong, saying that you are human. Because you are spirit. When you give your life to Christ, you die to yourself. You die to the flesh so that your spirit can come alive. In other words, you're supposed to submit your flesh to the Spirit of God so that you live by the Spirit. So quotations like, I am only human, should completely be out of the, the mouth of a believer. Because you're supposed to be living by the Spirit of God, not by the flesh or by the human nature. And if you say that the Lord is, you, you accepted Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, why is it that you're still walking, going ahead to live according to the human nature? Yes, we are all human beings. The truth is we need the body in order to be able to do those things which the Lord purpose for us to do. However, submit your flesh to your spirit. Paul says that he beats his body. There is a scripture that talks about him beating his body. So in other words, you should not have mercy upon your body. You should discipline your body. Discipline yourself so that you can live according to the word of God. Because we all know that the body opposes whatever God asks you to do. The very first example I can give you is when we are told to fast here in church. Because pastor gets time like, uh, I think it's the last week in the month, or I'm not sure. But he usually tells us to fast. Uh, it, it is the last week actually. Usually in the last week, and if we don't do it in the last week, at least we do it in the preceding week if we have, if we have missed it. He tells us to fast for seven days. But what happens? The body tells you that, you know what, eh? let us keep. We are, first it makes us fast a lot. We fast a lot. At least this week, let us keep. Let us keep the fasting. So you do what the body requires you to do, but you do not know that whatever the fasting is helping the spirit grow, not the flesh. The flesh itself that you are obeying is going to remain here on earth. The flesh is going to rot. It was made out of clay, and in clay it will go back. You will be buried. You will be eaten up by maggots. But this is the flesh that was telling you, let us not do this. And what happens? The spirit that you stab is the one that is going to go back to its creator. Because that's what the Bible says, that the spirit will go back. And then you will be awarded, rewarded according to the desires that you did, according to your works that you did.
but remember you let the flesh guide you. So that means by all means, the reward of sinners is we all know the reward of sinners is hell, though we are afraid to say it. It is the truth. It is the reward of sinners. But however, when you let the Spirit of God guide you, it does not matter how much the flesh has caused you to sin. The Lord is just and is willing to forgive you. He will cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. That is if you let the Spirit of God take over. It does not matter how much the flesh has caused you to sin. It does not matter how much your flesh is buried into sin. The Spirit of God, once you let the Spirit of God in now and you let the Spirit of God take the lead in your life, you will come back. He will renew you. He will cleanse you. He will sanctify you from all your unrighteousness. And the moment you submit your flesh to the Spirit of God, you will live righteous. You will live right as a child of God and you will receive the reward of all the children of God. Praise God. So it opposes it opposes when, when the Lord, the Spirit of God wakes you up in the night to pray because it has sensed something or because it really wants you to, 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 to pray. The Spirit, there are times when the Holy Spirit tells you that you get up and pray. Your flesh will tell you that you, you have work tomorrow. You need to, to, to cover yourself. Like it's cold. It is really cold. And what happens? You all say a faint prayer. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, some people even pray when they are in bed. It is not bad to say thank you. Then you say, I cover myself with the blood of Jesus. As you're covering, you also cover with a blanket over the head. There is a reason as to why the Lord is waking you up in the night to pray. Some people take it lightly, but there is a reason. Because our enemy does not sleep. Our enemy, the devil, he never sleeps, by the way. He can watch you. He's always busy looking for how he can pull you down day and night. So if you follow what your body tells you, you are not right with God and you're going to go to destruction. You're leading yourself to destruction. So let us do one thing. Submit our flesh to the Spirit of God. When we read in Romans chapter 8, let's open our Bibles. Romans chapter 8. Uh, we'll read from verse 1. I will read through real quick. Therefore, there is no condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, uh, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, to do in that it for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on that on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. 
it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Praise Jesus. This is exactly what I say, that those controlled by the sinful nature, when you read verse 8, it says that those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. And the sinful nature, we all know, is our flesh. This flesh that we have. Because it always contradicts what the Lord wants. So if you live according to what the sinful nature wants, you're going to sin against God. Because our bodies desire a lot of things, a lot of wrong things. But the Lord says, no, don't do it. When the body wants to retaliate over somebody who has offended you, the Lord is telling you, forgive that person. But however, the body wants revenge. I cannot let it go. I cannot. How can you? Even you have friends who push you. How can you let that happen? What happens? The flesh overcomes the spirit and you go and also seek for revenge. But that should not be it. So let us live by the Spirit. As believers, we are supposed to submit our flesh to the will of God. Do not let yourself be mastered by the flesh. Do not become a slave to your flesh. Let the, slave be a, uh, let the flesh be a slave to you. And by you, I'm talking about the Spirit of God that lives within you. Let your flesh be a slave to the will of God. Submit your flesh to the will of God because in the end, the flesh is not going to gain anything. It is going to perish. It is perishable. This body rots, it dies. Actually, when a person dies, they are not actually dead. They live forever. They live on. The difference is location. Either you're going to live forever in hell or in heaven. So choose wisely. Make your decision wisely. Live by the Spirit. And then the third enemy is the world. The earth or the world. But let us use the world. So the devil uses the world and the flesh to turn us away from God so that we may be cast. Because anybody who disobeys God, there is a consequence of sin you're going to suffer. Immediately you're bringing a curse upon yourself because you're disobedient. Praise God. So do not follow the world and its desires. The world has so many desires. But in order to live right with God, do not let the world get the best of you. Do not let the world take control of you. But what happens is that these days, we have let the world take control of us as believers. We want to fit in. We want to fit in with the desires of the world. We want to fit in with the pleasures of this world that we have completely let the world take control of us. And we have gone to the extent of adopting certain worldly ways and we bring them into the church and we even have scriptures to cover it up. We adopt the ways of the world and we bring them into the church. There is so much of the world in the church, and yet there is no church in the world. So we have completely let the world take control in the church. When you look at the, world, the church today, there is a lot going on in the church. The extent that people have even been held back from giving their lives to Christ because of what is going on. The stories you hear about the about the churches, 
about the pastors, about the different ministers. One thing we fail to know is that we are not of this world. No, we are not. Once you give your life to Christ, you have signed up to enter a new kingdom. That means you are going to abandon the wayward life of this world. You have completely said that, Lord, I surrender myself to your will. I am ready to live according to the way of your way, uh, to your ways, according to your will. I am ready to live according to the ways of the kingdom of God, your kingdom. And I am completely abandoning the wayward way of this world. Because we are leaving it behind. When you give your life to Christ, it means you have completely left the world and its ways behind. You choose to walk according to the way of the kingdom of God. But what happens is, we have started to adopt to it. We have forgotten that when we gave our lives to Christ, we signed up to leave this wayward way behind. So we start to live according to the way of the world. I mean, come to think of it. When you enter churches, you find that there is so much of the worldly ways within the church. We speak the way we speak. There, there, is, there are certain ways that people speak and you wonder that, but my goodness, should that really come out of the mouth of a child of God? Why are we talking like the way the world does? We behave the way it does. We dress the way it does. Why is that in the church? When the Lord was praying for his disciples, when we read in John chapter 17, verse 14, it is the Lord's prayer to, for the believers and his disciples. John chapter 17, verse 14. Verse 14, Jesus was saying, I have given them to your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world, and in, uh, they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth of your word. By, by the truth, your word is truth. Praise God. So when Jesus is saying this prayer, he says that you are not of the world. As he's praying to God, he says that sanctify them, for they are not of the world. He's not praying that you be taken out of the world, because he created you. The purpose as, that, as to why he created you, you are to fulfill when you are in this world, but you are not of this world. I don't know if you understand the difference. You live in this world, yes, but you are not of this world. You live in the world to fulfill the purpose for which God created you. You live in this world to win souls for him to enter the kingdom of God. But you are not of this world because you chose to get out of it when you gave yourself to Christ. You are not of this world. Born again, tell your neighbor you are not of this world. If they did not know, from today get to know that you are not of this world. You say to yourself every morning when you wake up that I am not of this world. You are of the world of the kingdom of God, the heavenly kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So the Lord has given us his teachings. That is why he exposes his teachings to us. He gives to us the secrets of the, secrets of the kingdom of God because he knows that we will understand them. If he gives them to the worldly person, they may not understand them, but however, we 
the children of God, we will completely understand the secrets of the kingdom of Jesus Christ because he chooses to reveal them to us because we are not of this world. However, we have chosen to do things the way the world does because we want to fit in. And the funny thing is that we know these things are wrong. We know. But however, we choose to do them because we want to fit in with the way the world does things. We have let the world take control of us because we want to fit in. The Bible tells us that if we walk according to the standards of this world, then we are enemies to God. If you live by the worldly ways, you are an enemy to God because the prince of this world is Satan. He was cast out of heaven into this world. He's the prince of this world. So if you choose to live according to the everything actually is controlled by the devil. If you look at the world, the worldly ways, because the devil really wants to make sure, his aim is to see that he really pulls down the Lord's children, that they do not enter heaven with him. He wants to take as many souls as he can with him to hell, because for him he knows that is his end. So he tries as much as possible to pull down the children of God along with him. Brethren, let us try as much as possible to live according to the kingdom of God, not according to the world. Because even the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, that let us offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And verse 2 tells us, do not conform to the standards of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the standards of this world. You know, it is funny these days, even believers fear to say that they are what? I'm talking about the youth now. They are believers who fear to say that they are virgins because in the world, they laugh at you. This is not a joke, they laugh at you. Because me, I have workmates who, who they, they actually mocked me because of that. They laugh at you. They say you want amateur. Like that is the phrase they use. They call you an amateur. Because for them, they feel this is the this is the way it should go. This is the life. They are believers who are in church, but however, they also go ahead and do. They they skim their way around in order to get a higher pay, especially in the business world. They 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 do. And profit, uh, uh, can I say, unfaithful gain. They get profits in an unfaithful way. If you're working for somebody and the person tells you that sell this thing at 25,000, you choose to increase the price and sell it at what? 30,000. Because you want to keep the extra 5,000 for yourself. This is what the world calls wisdom. However, in the kingdom of God, it is sin, it is theft. It is theft. The world will tell you that, why do you tithe? Those pastors are only stealing your money. There is no point for you to tithe. Those pastors are thieves. They are thieves. They are the ones stealing your money. Can't you see you're suffering for them? They are building houses. They are buying for themselves cars. They actually call God against foolish people. They say that these people basically was That is why they are suffering. Can't you see the pastor is driving a very posh car? You look at the kind of house the pastor is living in, but for them they are, they are silly, stupid people. They just give every time the pastor asks for money. 
It is the wayward way of the world. That is why they tell you it is not right for you to type. But even in the church, there are people who are saying, for me, I can never give my money in church because I know those pastors feed off of it. They don't know that the reason as to why they remain bored is because of that. Because we have let the world get take control of us. We speak the way the world does. When the world confesses that the situation is bad, the economy is bad, that is the saying that is going on even today. Even you, the child of God, you say, eh, the economy is bad. But really, according to the standard of this world, it is. But according to you, the child of God, why are you making the same confession? If you are living life according to the will of God, is it the Lord taking care of you or it is God himself taking care of you? If God is the one taking care of you, why are you also confessing that the economy is bad, I am poor, me, I don't have money, people, I don't have money. And it is funny, every time that is the saying, we keep on saying, I don't have money, I don't have money, I am very broke, the economy is hard. You don't know that the more you say it, the more you pronounce curses over your life. We have let the way world way of the world get into the church. There is no more love in the church. It is not there. If you find yourself being loved by the world, then know there is something wrong with you. If you are a believer and the world loves you, something is definitely wrong. When your wayward friends are said, they really like, if you are a true believer, the truth is the world will hate you because they hated Jesus without a cause. They hated him without a cause. Ask yourself, why did they crucify him in the first place? Because he was doing good things. We all read the life of Jesus in the four Gospels. You have read about it. Then Paul talks about it in his letters. And you ask yourself, but why really did these people crucify Jesus? It's because they were jealous of him. That is the way of the world. You as a believer, why are you getting jealous of another person's success in the church? But that is what is happening in the church. We rejoice over somebody's pain and we are happy because a person is going through something. We rejoice. When a believer falls, we rejoice and we say, I told you so. You see that? You know, it is funny. The world protects its own. I mean, let us take an example of the Catholic Church. How you will never hear them come out publicly about a priest that has impregnated a girl. But those people are there, by the way. They are there. Children of priests, when they, they even know, but they try as much as they can to cover. They protect their own. But however, in the church, my goodness, one simple mistake like this, it is us the believers who will sell our own to the world. We cast them out, rebuke them very terribly. We are so judgmental. Yes, the Bible says that we should not judge. We shouldn't. As a believer, when our own faults, we are supposed to go on our knees and intercede for this person and repent and ask God to forgive us and say that, Lord, help this person come back to the right path. Help them see the light. But however, even when we say that we are rebuking them, we do it in so much bitterness. It is like we are casting them out completely. Get out. We don't want you. You are not part of us. 
the hypocrisy in the church is too much. That is why people can't even give their lives to Christ. Because the hypocrisy is too much. You are born again. Why is it that people would be afraid of you because of the words that will come out of your mouth the moment they know that when I make a mistake, that lady is going to blast me very terribly? Because I, I remember there is a pastor who was talking about this and he says, believers, you need to live the right way. Because she went to preach the gospel to a certain lady, a lady's house. He was doing door-to-door evangelism. So when he reached and he preached the gospel to her, and the lady accepted and said, okay, pastor, you come back tomorrow, I will give my life to Christ. So he was, as he was leaving the house, he wanted to go to the neighbor's house also to preach to him. Then the neighbor said, ah, for me, I'm born again, you don't have to come. So the pastor turned to this lady who had accepted, and, uh, but had promised that maybe tomorrow I will give my life to Christ. He told her that even if I don't come back tomorrow, your neighbor here is born again, she will guide you to salvation. The lady said, what? That neighbor, if she's born again, then I am also born again. That is what she said. She said that lady does not have any proper words in her mouth. In other words, you know, you know there, are, there are some people who really quarrel terribly, yeah? to the extent that a person really gets so afraid. The moment people look at you, you hear silence all over the place because they know an Al-Qaeda has come. Any simple mistake you do, the lady will blast you, especially the women, by the way. You're wondering why you're preaching and people are not giving their life to Christ. It is your character that is holding them back. You are acting like one in the world. We gossip in church, but we don't even see it. The people in the world will see and they will say, but there is no way, you cannot tell that lady anything or any secret because the moment you say it, she is going, the, the entire area will know. We are so good at judging. We think that we live righteous lives, but yet we are the worst. Even some, sometimes even the people in the world are better than us because the hypocrisy in the church is at its highest peak. If we say we are serving God, why are we doing it? Do we do it because we love him? Or we are doing it because we are seeking for self-exaltation? Because this is how the world does its things. Whatever the world does is for their own recognition. But that is what is also happening in the church. You find that a person gives, but they are doing it not because they love God, not for a good cause or to help somebody, but it is because they want to be sung praises for. As a believer, I am asking you, believer who is here, when you help somebody, why do you take pictures and post it on your social media handles that I, I, I gave this person shoes? You actually tell them, you, you give them the name, the items you gave to them, if it is money, you tell them the amount you gave to them, you tell them the situation the person was going through. Why do you take do all that? Did you help out of compassion or you were doing it for your own self-glorification? Why are you taking pictures in the first place? If you give to somebody, the scripture itself tells us that when you give with your right hand, your left hand should not know. Why is it that you get angry when you have given and the pastor has not read your name in church and the amount you gave? 
Why should you be offended? If anything, if praises are supposed to come for you, let them come from the person you get these items to. Not from you. Why are you blowing your own trumpet? Why do you serve God? Is it because you love him? Or you're seeking for your own self-glorification? Why do you evangelize? And these days it has gone to the far extent that some people do it anyway. I don't know why, but I really don't see why when you're preaching the gospel, you put pictures of yourself everywhere. Okay, some people do it, I know, for accountability. But again, there are some people who, without a picture, I mean, if you're not recording me, there is no way I'm going to do this. It is not their lifestyle, in other words. That's what I'm saying. There are people who, if it is a lifestyle, they don't mind whether you take pictures or not, that is up to you. And the posting doesn't even come from them, that they are people. Everything they do, you, they must post about it. You know, I am talking about social media addicts. That you reach a point and you say, it doesn't make sense for you to post about yourself in everything you do. Whatever you do in church, you're posting. What is wrong with you? There is advertising a ministry, but there is also seeking for self-recognition. There is trying to compete with somebody. It is funny that even people compete in prayer. I did not know this, but my, one of my friends told me, there are people who can compete even in prayer. They want to see who speaks in tongues better than others. That is also a competition, and I'm like, really? When they hear you speaking in tongues, they also raise their voice very loud, even if you say that, first keep quiet. Let us have some order here. Let us have some order because there is a person leading us or what. So I told him again how, how the people compete in that. He has a ministry that he's part of. And he says, you know, people there compete about everything. The one who prays better than others wants to compete. That who prays better than others. People even give gifts for best preacher of the year. Best preacher of what? I've forgotten what that program is called. But they, they line up preachers. The best preacher gets the prize. And I'm like, okay. I thought when we preach, we do it because we want to give people a message that God is giving them. Why are we doing competitions now to get the best, pre best preacher and we give prizes? Why are we giving awards to best preacher? Why are we preaching in the first place? Is it to get an award or to give people a message? But you find that the greed, the worldly greed, has taken up the church. In that we have turned everything in a competition. I am not against social media, by the way. I'm not against us evangelizing using social media because it is one of the ways that the gospel has gotten to the world first. But there are people who are terrible addicts that whatever they do. In fact, the other drug that is not cocaine or marijuana or opium is social media. That is a drug you find that a person cannot put their phone down from the time they wake up to the time they sleep. But this is the way of the world. It's the way we and finally we don't see anything wrong with it. But it is an addiction that has destroyed the church completely that we no longer socialize with each other. We don't even want to. 
we don't want to socialize with each other, like talk, I'm talking about talking, not socializing, but social media. Put the phone down once in a while. And get involved in church activities, even if there is no reward. We have people who cannot clean the church unless there is a payment. For your churches actually that pay people for doing that. But you want to know, what am I going to get out of it? Whatever service you give, if it is singing, gospel artists these days do it for the money. If they are led by the money, there is nothing wrong with you getting paid out of it. But what is leading you? What is your motive? Is the motive to make money or the motive is to serve God? And if it is to serve God, why are you getting angry when you're not paid? Fine, every worker deserves his wages. But before you even sign up to do something, did the Spirit of God guide you or you chose to do it because your flesh led you? Why? Why are you doing it? The scripture tells us in James chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, that we do not get what we ask for from him. We do not get what we ask for from God sometimes because we ask to fulfill our selfish desires. You will read James chapter 4, verse 1, all the way to verse 4. But the Bible tells us in verse 4, that same James, James chapter 4, that loving, loving the world is the same as hating God. When we say we love the world, it is a hatred towards God. Because the Bible says that the, 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 the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the sight of God. The things the world considers wise is foolishness in his sight. So let us look at the things that we see. I, I told you that when the world is happy, for you, then know that there is something wrong with you as a believer because the world will hate you for doing right. But however, if everybody in the world likes everything that you do, then there is something that you're definitely doing wrong in the kingdom of God. Take some time, go back to God and ask Him, am I living right? Only that we believers, we don't again have time. We don't want to pray such prayers of inquiry. It is mostly asking, asking, asking. But take some time before you pray and ask anything to him. Uh, 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 rather, making your supplications. No, telling him just what you want. That, Lord, I want this, I want that, I want that. Take some time and ask him that, Lord, am I living right? He will reveal to you, by the way. He will show you where your faults are. You yourself will be surprised. Because there are certain things we see are okay to do. But the Lord says, no, Joel, this is wrong. It is wrong. We as, the, we as people, sometimes we may not see anything wrong with it. There are people who don't see anything wrong with talking about somebody. But the Lord will tell you, why are you backbiting them? Why not pray for them? Instead of talking about somebody, why aren't you praying for them? Talking about somebody's fault. Eh, did you see this sister? She got herself pregnant. She's now cohabiting with a man. Well, yes, it is true. She has fallen. How about you intercede for her? Why are you talking about her? And to make matters worse, you're telling everybody who cares to give you a listening ear. Why? Why are you telling everybody about a certain brother you found in a bar? 
Where are you telling another person about the dream God showed you about somebody? If God spoke to you and brought a dream about somebody to you, pray for them. Do not gossip about them. Brethren, let us change our ways. We need love to come back in the church. We need to completely cast out the ways of the world out of the church and bring back the love of God in the competition. There is unnecessary competition in the church. Unnecessary jealousy, like jealousy to the extent that preachers are jealous of each other. You know, funny thing is, you find pastors fighting, things that you don't see, by the way, in other religions. You find that it is in the church, in the kingdom, where preachers are fighting each other to see who gets more congregants. They want to throw somebody's ministry down because they see this one has more people congregating with him and they want to take all all the entire flock to their end. The fighting is just too much. And we as believers, funny, instead of praying about it, we instead involve ourselves. We are the ones, like I said, who give our people over to the world. We keep on pushing them away. The right thing to do as believers is to intercede. The world has really taken over the church in a very bad way. And we need to fall on our knees as a church and ask God for his mercy and ask him to come and take over. We need love back in the church. We need love to come back. We need to be in one accord, just as the believers were in one accord. There is no way they would have achieved the things they achieved if if they were not in unity with each other. There is no way. So as believers, Let us live right. Let us cast aside the ways of the world. Because the world is the greatest enemy. It is not even the devil. But the enemy has really used the world to get to us believers. To the extent that there are certain things we see that are okay. Very okay to do. When we as believers, we see that they are okay. I mean, a person thinks it is okay to be grievous and sorrowful. But by the way, sorrow leads to hell. Though you don't see anything wrong with it, sorrow is sin, worry is sin, lying is sin. These days when it came to lying, my goodness, we do it a lot on mobile phones. And you wonder why your child is lying. It's because the child is learning from you. A person calls you to ask you where are you, you say I'm almost reaching, but yet your life you still at home taking it. And then you ask yourself, but why is my child lying? Because you are doing it as well. Tell somebody the truth. Let us stop selling lies. If you're not going to pay somebody the time you promised to pay them, tell them that the truth is I don't have money now, I will pay you in a later period and this and that. Do not set, commit yourself to a debt that you know you will not be able to make. And if you fail to make it to the debt that you commit yourself, be the first person to call. But you find that it is in the church that people say that I can never loan a person. Why is it that it is in the church that a person says that I can never loan a person money because that person they are never true to their word. And we see nothing wrong with it. We lie all the time. Somebody gives you things to do for him. 
and says that I will come and pick that work when it is complete on this day. You tell them, yes, come on Thursday. Thursday, you know you have not completed the work. Then the person calls you and you say, you know, I completed it, but I am not there. I, I, at my workplace right now. I have traveled, so those things are still at office, but I will deliver them to you on Saturday. But you know the work is incomplete. And we see nothing wrong in telling lies, unfortunately. So let's just ask God to have mercy on us. Hallelujah. We don't have time now, but I am telling you now. When you go home, please repent for accepting these three enemies to get the best of you. Ask God for his mercy. Tell him that, Father, forgive me for where I have gone wrong. Forgive me. I ask for mercy. I ask for mercy for letting these enemies get the best of me, for letting them take control of me. But I pray that you help me live right. The Lord will help you. Because he's our ever-present help in time of need. It is hard to let go of the ways of this world. But once you let God in, he will help you. Let us pray. Father Lord, thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for your message, O Heavenly Father. Thank you, King of Kings and all of God, that you always want us to walk in the right way and in the right path of salvation. Father in heaven, we pray for you to say that will you forgive us for where we have gone wrong, forgive us for where we have let the enemy, we have given the enemy a foothold, where we have let our flesh get the best of us, where we have succumbed to the desires of the flesh and let the world take control of us. We ask for your mercy and we pray that you help us live right. For we cannot on our own, we have tried and we have failed. But I pray to over that you please help us, guide us, lead us in the right way that we are to go. We surrender ourselves to you and we choose to commit to your will. And we pray Jehovah, come have your way and come and take over. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed and believed. Amen.